If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Well, hello there and welcome to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. And this is a very special edition of the Heretic Happy Hour. We'll get into that in just a little bit. But uh, first, let me just uh, say uh, I'm Keith Giles. I'm the author of Jesus Untangled, Crucifying Our Politics to Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb and a couple other books. And I am joined by my good friends, Matthew DeStefano and Jamal Javanji. Guys, say hi and introduce yourself. Hi, guys. I'm Jamal Javanji, author of Free to Love with Choir Publishing. And it's a, always a pleasure to be on the Heretic Happy Hour. And I'm Matt DeStefano, and uh, we are brought to you by Unfundamentalist, which is a group focused on following Jesus' commandments to love God and neighbor, and is dedicated to opposing the toxic, power-mongering, fear-inflaming nonsense that is inherent in economic, political, societal, and religious fundamentalism. I love that. <laughs> um, you can find them online at facebook.com backslash unfundamentalist or read their blog at unfundamentalists.com. And uh, yeah, well, that's, uh, that's, that's who we're sponsored by. And I love those guys. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm, and gals, it awesome is, I'm, stuff. I'm really, uh, I'm really glad that we're sponsored by the unfundamentalist as opposed to the fundamentalists, <laughs> you know? Oh, hell yeah. Like I just, I think that's a good thing, but um yeah, I also before we get into the meat of uh today's today's podcast, um I don't, you know, and I I always forget to mention this. Um and so I just want to make sure off the top, you know, that we just kind of like cover this because we're, you know, we're not doing a good job with getting this out there, but did you guys know um that we actually have a heretic hotline? Like, are you aware of that? Whoa. Yeah, it's I, true. This, it's true. This joke is getting guys, old. It's true. <laughs> No, no, but serious, serious, seriously, like it's, it's not only is it, it's like, it's amazing to me. It's getting out there. Even a few listeners have stumbled upon it, you know, in the recesses of the, it's buried in the internet somewhere, but like somehow this number has like gotten out there and there's been a few callers that have actually called in. I think we actually have a voicemail to play on today's episode. So can, uh, can our, our engineer producer, uh, cue up that voicemail. Hey guys, I want to thank you for an awesome podcast. And I must say, damn, it feels good to be a heretic. Um, my question for you guys is, is there something wrong systemically or at the root of Christianity, the religion, the institution of Christianity, um, that has us, um, Constant, and maybe it's just a human problem, but, but we're, we're constantly attracted to uh, power and control. Um, the institution, for its history, has um, you know copulated with the powers and principalities of this world, and it's caused all sorts of problems. And I'm just wondering if some, what you guys think? What's what's the the root of this problem, and is there a solution? Because as you can see. In America here, um, Christianity is, is in decline, and it's not because people don't, uh, at a very deep level, want to know God or uh, seek God, but um, the institutions have failed them desperately. So just wondering what, uh, what your opinions are. God bless. Uh, um, that's a great, great uh, voicemail. 
Um, I don't want to come off like a total douchebag, but he said root and solution, two words that are in the subtitle of one of my books. So it's, um, it's, <laughs> it's like, it's like you were asking the, you were asking the same questions that I asked before I wrote my book from the blood of Abel, which is on choir publishing. Um, yes, there is, there is something, I guess, if we want to say, um, quote unquote wrong, um, systemically within us. And it's this, uh, uh, this, the, the desire for, um, power comes because we cannot help but take on each other as models and imitate each other non-consciously. And, uh, you know, it's just amazing that, you know, the book of Genesis gets right to this. If you read it a little bit allegorically and you can see this, you know, the serpent is this metonym for desire and it gets to like the root cause, um, psychologically something within us, um, that, that feeds this, uh, mimetic, um, desire for power. And so, yeah, there is, um, but it's not just a Christian thing. The Christian thing exposes it, but it's a religion. It's a, it's a human culture thing. So you're right to say that it's a human thing. Um, and that's what I try to point out in the book. Yeah. I wanted to also, uh, I really agree on that. Uh, as I was listening to that message, man, I, I mean, I totally agree. I, I, I tweeted the other day, something as a joke, like, Hey, you know, wouldn't it be a great idea if someone started like, I don't know, a movement or a religion that was sort of based on the teachings of this, this Jesus guy? Like, wouldn't that be cool? Because, um, because Christianity really doesn't look like Jesus. It's really not. I mean, Christendom, right? Sort of the evangelical Christianity or fundamentalist Christianity, the movement that we have in his name, um, it is based about, it, it is very entangled. I mean, my book, Jesus Untangled, is about that how the church has gotten entangled with nationalism and politics. And then that's all about um, seeking power over people. Uh, whereas, but, th- but that's not, you don't get that idea from Jesus. No one, no one, you know, read the sermon on the Mount. And then after reading the sermon on the Mount said, Oh, I got it. That's great. Let's go and get power for ourselves so we can control people. Like that is not at all uh, what Jesus is about. If anything, he's, he's about the opposite of that. And so, uh, for me personally, I feel like, you know, if we say, is there is there a solution to this or is a way out of this? I would say, well, yeah, get out of that Christendom, that, that evangelical Christian movement that is all about power and control and uh, those kinds of systems and structures. And, and just get back to Jesus and what he's teaching, because he's not talking about that at all. Right? If anything, he's talking about loving the other person, lifting up the other person working for the, the benefit of others. Um, you know, it's an others based, not a self based or an us based. Like it's about us and our people and our tribe uh, winning. It's more about like laying down so that other people can be lifted up. Yeah. You know, um, I think uh, this is some thoughts that I, ha- and I totally, totally agree with all of that. I, I think some thoughts that I have, and I think that was a great message by the caller um, about, about this, he's recognizing that there's a fascination with power. And I honestly, that's, it's easy to see that, you know, you know, it's like politics and, and it's like politicians and religious leaders. I mean, that's why Jesus said, beware of the leaven of Herod and of the Pharisees, you know, was talking about government leaders and religious leaders, because there is something appealing and that is a, is an appeal to the masses, but I want to take it like a step deeper if I could, because it's, it, although we can recognize, yeah, totally. Like, like religion and government both seek to control people or seek to draw the masses into their own message. 
which I get that. It's really interesting to me that Jesus did not seem to want to draw the masses into his message, which is countercultural if you think about it. Because it's like, well, wait a minute, didn't Jesus have a good message? Yeah. But why is he, he just doesn't seem to be preoccupied with winning over the masses. And I think there's something going on there. And it, to me, it goes on, it, it really touches on this idea of significance, you know, like all human beings have a desire to be significant, which is, I, I really believe, a God-given uh, innate desire that we don't even choose. It's just something within us. Like we want to be significant. We want our lives to count for something that tends to be bigger than Definitely. our own self, you know, our own sense of self, ego self. So that's natural. But I think what the what the deal is, is that if, if um, ambition, like ambition can be a good thing, but it can also be a really bad thing in the sense that ambition that's that, that Pharisees, the religious leaders have, and I can speak for this from my own perspective as being in Bible college, like I saw it, like there's an ambition um, f- for church leaders to build great movements for God. And just like there's ambition amongst politicians to want to like, you know, have a legacy and to do something great. I don't think it's all negative, but I think when, when you're approaching something from this place of lack, like you need to get your significance, then ultimately where that's going to lead is a fascination with power and with control and with all the stuff that all the glamour that you kind of see, you know, in the world. But honestly, if you are coming from a different place, let's just say you don't feel like you are driven by, I think there's maybe like an unhealthy ambition, but it's just like, I know my significance inherently. And when you're coming from a place of love, like just really settled and rooted in, in just a satisfaction in love, then you're not fascinated or impressed by those, the, the lights and, and, the, and the masses and the power. It doesn't impress you. It doesn't have a draw on you um, when you're coming from that place because you realize it's just smoke and mirrors. It's just an illusion. It's not actually real. I think that's what's going on. I think so. Christianity is so much built upon people who really are just drawn into the sense of wanting to be significant and part of something that's bigger, which again, is not always inherently a bad thing, but it's, it's, if it's com- coming from a place of like needing to be ambitious and needing to be significant, you're always going to be impressed with that. And, um, and love and Jesus just wasn't not impressed with those things because he's just, he's got nothing to prove. It's just, it's love. It's just love. Right. Right. So yeah, great, yeah. great thoughts, man. Um, so I guess it's time for us to move on to um, a special sort of edition of the heretic of the week. And uh We'll introduce him in just a second. Let's get that soundbite. It's the heretic of the week. Hi, guys. I'm Jamal Javanji, and I am a heretic. Hi, Hi Jamal. Jamal. Uh, yes, that's right. Jamal Javanji, one of our own, is going to be the heretic of the week. All right. Well, Jamal, um, what is it that makes you a heretic, or why is it do you think people consider you a heretic? That's <laughs> a, a good question. Um, I guess that all depends on who you ask, but... My perception of why um, people would call me a heretic is because um, I, I, I think I've I, – the short answer is – and this has got me into some trouble from the very beginning. But the short answer is, is I really don't see the distinction between Jesus and us. I really feel like we <laughs> – Got him. <laughs> the, 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 the Apostle John, you know, he made this statement, as, as he is in the world, so are we. And I, I just really early on in my journey and my, in my faith just latched onto that. And I really have believed it. And it's caused me to ask a lot of questions because 
so much of Christian doctrine, Christianity in general, assumes um, that Jesus is very much different than us. And, and, and of course, as a result of that, um, you know, practical speaking, then we must live very differently. And I think that's why Christians tend to live defeated lives and don't live like Jesus. And it's not because they don't desire to be like Jesus, or it's not because they desire to, you know, to, all, to, to screw up all the time and just like completely live this defeated life. But I think it's some fundamental, uh, just a real deep belief that Jesus is something very different than us. And, um, and I've just have rejected that from the beginning. Yeah. And so it's caused me to ask questions about, well, what about this? Or what about that? And is it possible to live this way? Or could we live this way? Or can we be free of this system? Or do we have to have these stipulations on how we interact? And from the very beginning, um, I have always asked those questions. And if I'm not satisfied with the answers, I don't go along with it. And that I think has gotten me into some trouble, you know, over the years. Can I, can I ask a follow-up question? Oh, please. Because I, I think uh, I, I would agree with you in one direction, like on the, on the idea of who our identity in Christ and that, that we are called to be like him. And, you know, this idea that, uh, you know, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And that I, I think that I should be able to say that too. Like, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And it was like, the intention is that if you, that we are reflections, as you said, as John says, uh, we are reflections of Christ and, and all of that. Do I, so I agree with you. Um, at least in in certain how far you and I would agree down the road if we followed that idea down the road, but I agree with you at least um, pretty far down the road on that idea that um, that our identity in Christ is is meant to be uh, very, very you know the same as Jesus in the world and that kind of thing. But I guess what I would want to back up and ask you is going the other direction. So so not not the direction of humanity and us going in the opposite direction of going back to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, so you say there's no difference between us and Jesus. So I would ask you, do you, but do you feel that Jesus does have a unique identity that we don't have in the sense that he's, uh, you know, the preexistent uh, part of the Trinity or he's eternal or, I mean, so there's like, what, how do you take it, take our identity and our connection to Christ? Uh, mm-hmm. or do you feel like, he, do you think it extends in that direction as well? Or do you feel like, uh, Jesus is unique in some way. Well, I think I think that's a great question, by the way, and I I think that our, our understanding of the Trinity is a little bit problematic. Just my own definition here, or understanding of it right now, is that I believe that to put Jesus as the second person of the Trinity is probably a little bit short sighted. I think we should put Christ as the second person of the Trinity, and and I'm not drawing. I'm not saying Jesus isn't a revelation of the Christ. I'm saying, but the Christ is, goes much more beyond. Um, and this is this is a very classic traditional understanding of of the Trinity. Um, the, the fact that Jesus was seen as the sole second person of the Trinity and not the Christ um, was was something that developed over time. But but Jesus is obviously a revelation of the Christ. But when we're talking about Christ, we're talking about I mean, there's guys like Francis of Assisi and different folks from the past. I mean, they really considered. Um, all of creation a manifestation of the Christ because literally like the the Christ is the visible image of the invisible God and so we it's this manifestation the image and likeness of God is the Christ well if you really Jesus as being the Adam the last Adam of humanity he's only a representative of us so it's not like it's only him that is the invisible image of the visible or the visible image of the invisible God. He's a picture. He's a mirror of 
us, who is the image of the invisible God. And this is what humanity's purpose from the very beginning has been, is to be the image and likeness of the invisible God. So I, in, by when we say Christ, I think we have to include much more than just the 2,000-year-old the individual human Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we kind of, that's my, my definition, my, my feeling is where we get off. But I feel like um, the way Christ is unique from us is I do believe as a human being on the planet, his awareness of his I, true identity, like his ability to not relate to his, his human self, his, you know, and, and when I say human self, like, I mean, like the, 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 the self that was, you know, born, you know, at a certain date and, and had this name and all this kind of thing. Like, I think he could relate to his true self, which is like before Abraham was born, I am this transcendent divine part of his self that came from God. Like, I think he, he, he was, he had the ability to really understand that. I don't think he was corrupted by the lie of, a, of, of lack and this lie that um, blinds, that blinds the rest of humanity to our true identity. I don't think he, he dealt with that. I think, I think he came into this world. Some people call him like an avatar. He really came into this world with a full awareness and grew in that. Obviously, I don't think it was like he came in with a full awareness as a baby. I think he grew in that, but I don't see him being wrestling through the, um, the sickness of an identity confusion that humanity seems to wrestle. And that's where I think he's different, but I actually think we're like him in his divinity and in his humanity, because I, I, I think that's inherently true of us. Like he's the God man. And I think so are we, yeah. so can I, and that's the her- heretical part of it. Yeah. yeah. Can, can I ask a quick follow-up then? So to make sure I'm understanding what you're saying. So, uh, so I, uh, it sounds like what you're saying is that, that there is, um, a man named Jesus, physical human being, man named Jesus, who was born in Palestine roughly 2,000 years ago. And then there's Christ, who is um, functionally, I mean, or at least potentially separate from the physical name of the person, you know, the, 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 the physical person we're talking about, right? So there's Jesus, and then there's Christ. And then, yes, at, at, there was a, um, a union of Jesus and Christ, but you don't see them uniquely individual. Yeah, I, th- I think the I would say that Christ is the um the you know the in, is an inherent identity and Jesus came obviously to be a revelation of the Christ but that Christ um that Christ consciousness that Christ identity really resides deeply in the heart of every human. So like, you know, John 1 when it says this light um, that came into the world. This light is actually the life of all of humanity. And that's, I think, why Jesus could say to the Jewish people that had not, you didn't have a clue. It's like, hey, this kingdom, which is this Christ, whatever you want, you want title you put on, it's kingdom, kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom, whatever, uh, you know, th- this thing they were waiting on. He said, it's already in your midst. It's actually within you. And I think that's what Jesus was came to draw our attention to. I think that's what he lived from, but this is the inherent fundamental reality of who we are is this Christ. Um, and I, so I don't think Jesus is unique in being the Christ. I think Jesus is unique in his, in his revelation of the Christ um, who is all of us, you know, and that's why even now we're called the body of Christ because we, li- it's literally who we are. You know, we're not just, um, we're not just, uh, caricatures of the Christ. We're actually the body, like the body. You, you wouldn't look at someone's body and go, well, that's not, that's not Jamal. You can't, I mean, if you, yeah, I'm part my, you know, I'm more than my body, but I'm, I'm certainly not separate from my body. So, um, so to say, to, to, to point to my body and say, that's Jamal is accurate. So to, to point to us, each one of us and say, 
yeah, that's the body of Christ, but that is the Christ. It's, it's all one, you know, it's just, it's the same. It's like, there's no, there's no, there's no separation in that. And I, so I, that's where I would see Jesus understanding of that and came to be the revelation of that to show us what it means to be. Otherwise we can't really emulate him because he's different. Uh, that's my understanding of that. Like he's actually us. And in that we are actually the image and likeness and manifestation of the divine. Now, Jamal, you, you mentioned uh, you, you were raised Muslim and then you kind of went into uh, evangelicalism. So obviously you didn't always probably um, view things this way. Um, can, you, can you tell uh, us and the listeners um, what your deconstruction process um, was like in, in getting out of what we might call religiosity into the view you have now? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, you know, I feel like I was kind of, uh, depends how you look at it. I was kind of doomed from the start or set up for this whole journey from the very beginning. And, uh, because when I, when I became, I became like a, an, what I would call an evangelical Christian around the age of 18. And I was working at this little pizza shop. It's kind of a little mom and mom and pop pizza shop in, in central Ohio and Columbus, Ohio. And, um, my, my boss there was, um, he was like, he was this deacon at this Southern Baptist church in, in Columbus. And, uh, man, he was just, he, he's an awesome guy. I love him. You know, he, he really does think I love, I've lost my way up to this point, but I love this guy. He's awesome. And, um, he was, he was, he's, he was like a father figure to me, a mentor. And he just really took me under his wing, invited me to church. But he, this guy, like he, he was, he is to this day, such a beautiful thinker and he, his heart is so beautiful. And one of the things that he would always do is he would ask questions. Like he would call, he would actually call the church service we went to. It was this big mega church in Columbus and he would call it the dog and pony show. And I'd be like, why are you calling it that? He, even though he's invited me to come to church, he'd be like, yeah, it's the dog and pony show. I'm like, why is that? He's like, look at this, man. He goes, he goes, just let's read the new Testament. Let's read the book of acts. Let's see how the, you know, the early church functioned. He's like, do you like, does this look like that? And he would be very open about that from the very beginning. And I would like, I was like new to the faith. And so I was like following him. And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't, it's kind of different. <laughs> like, why is it so different? And so it, he like was training me how to think and not just accept what the masses are, are believing and following, but he was very, I don't think unhealthily critical. I just think he was, he would just taught me how to think and, and that was part of it. So I think that's how I started to start questioning. So even, even after that, I remember going to Bible college, went to, you know, Liberty university, which is, the, you know, kind of the Mecca for, it's actually the largest Christian university. Now it's a Southern Baptist school, Jerry Falwell school, you know, very conservative. It's where all the presidential candidates go to declare, you know, Republican uh, presidential candidates go to declare. And I remember being there and man, you know, I, I never, like, even as a, as a pastoral major, religion major, I just, I saw through this, I saw through it from the beginning and I, it never sat well with me. Uh, I had a few professors that were like gems, like just really beautiful people. They, that they, and they didn't fit in with the system. And I saw so much of Christ in and through these people and the way that they just literally oozed and breathed reality and love and, and also didn't get sucked into the, this, the smoke and mirrors of all this hoopla that I was there in the midst of. And so I've just like gravitated to that from the very beginning. So, so that's part of it. Um, that's part of my deconstruction process. Um, and then eventually I became a pastor and I had this delusion, um, that I was governed by that, 
when I become a pastor and start my own church, then I'm going to create the church that I've so criticized all the other church. Like, so, you know, I was, you know, like I was, I was a basher of the church. I was a basher of the evangelical church in America and pretty much, but I, I didn't see, like, I thought, well, it's a crisis of leadership. And that's really, um, that's, that's really what I, what I began to see. So then I thought, okay, well, if I just do it better then you know, then that will take care of it. And then after a couple of years, two, three years of, you know, leading my own church that I created, I realized, oh, like the very thing I thought I wasn't going to do, I'm doing. And I was so disillusioned with that. And, you know, people, even people on my staff were not okay with me questioning even our own church because they were some of a lot of those they liked what we were doing. They were like, this is, this is working pretty well. They like it. There's people coming, it's growing. It's like, and I was so inherently, I was just kind of disgusted, honestly, with what I saw. And I, I had these series of encounters. I would have these encounters. I mean, I remember traveling overseas, uh, you know, went to, you know, China and the Middle East and Tibet and India while I was still working as a pastor. And the things I uncovered there just really undid me on a spiritual, emotional level. And every time I have these encounters, um, what I call supernatural encounters or encounters, um, uh, specifically in that context, it would undo me. And then I could never go back after these encounters. I just couldn't go back to um, the way it was before. And every time I would try to go back and just kind of get back into my old stream of life, it just wouldn't work. So then I, it, that would, that would cause problems for me relationally with people because I'm just so radically different after mm. an encounter than before the encounter. So that happened. And um, you know, I just, I think eventually what that led me to do is to step away from the traditional religious world. And, um, and then I, I, I began to deconstruct, um, what it means to follow Jesus or to live this way apart from organized Christianity, if that makes sense. Yeah. The, the, that's kind of my deconstruction was asking questions and that kind of thing. But I think it, it took another, I think this is important part to add in to this conversation because I think it leads into the topic. But um, when it comes to like, when it, like after I left, you know, institutional Christianity um, so to speak. And of course that, that involved a lot of upheaval relationally speaking, you know, so I, you know, literally in another kind of another camp, which I didn't re- quite realize I was in another camp, but I, I by default kind of put me in this, organic house church category or moving in that direction. Cause that's kind of what I was looking into. Um, you know, my journey continued and I would have these, um, I had these, I had these in a series of like, I, I continued to further pose the question, like, is it possible to actually, and this is the, this is the, the fundamental premise that I was governing, beginning to govern my life, which was the new commandment which is when Jesus said, okay, a new commandment I'm going to give to you that you would love one another in the same way that I, I have loved you. And I started to really think about that. And I started, because that's the desire of my heart. That's really the quest of why I exist is like, is it po- like love it's for love. And so like, my question was, is it possible? Is it actually possible to love in the same way that Jesus loved. And I started to ask myself that question, you know, and I, and of course I read some books and I started to postulate that in the context of relationships, specifically when I started viewing church as more than just a thing you go to a service that you belong to a Bible study that you attend, but like really seeing church as a collection 
of intimate relationships in which people had relationships and related to each other. And so, of course, that leads into, well, what does it mean to love people like Jesus did? Well, how did Jesus love? And of course, I started seeing like he defied his love, defied all the boundaries. It defied, you know, gender divide. It defied, um, you know, ethnicity. It defied social status. And I started to really take that seriously and postulate what, okay, and I started to experience things even within me, even before I, I had the questions, but the experiences I would have, these experiences of profound love that would open up in my being for other people. This caused lots of uh, consternation uh, with others, not with me, because I knew what I, was going on in my spirit and it was the most beautiful thing I was experiencing, but it did cause problems in the circles I was running in. And I started to see that there were people, and again, this goes back to... Um, this goes back to like the caller. Um, it was talking about why is Christianity so enamored with power? And it's like, because it's either power or love. Like I, I don't see, there's no other, there's no other way. It's either power or love. And the more I started to operate with an intention to love and to, and to function in love, like relational love, like, like really coming from the depths of my being, I started seeing, um, some of the power structures around me get really nervous and they started to question me. I had people like tell me to stop writing as a blogger at the time. I don't blog anymore, but they were telling me I, that they wanted me to take down blog posts. I had people questioning me to leaders and that eventually came out and, and, and eventually came out to, for me to like, I, I end, ended up like losing all my relationships um, as a result of it's a domino effect, but it began through very subtly and that was how it started to begin. And it, it eventually, I eventually lost um, my, what I would consider to be like my extended family, which is a, you know, a whole collection of relationships. Um, and then eventually lost my family, uh, lost my home, lost pretty much everything as a result of, as a result of that. So um, as a result of this revelation um, of what to me is the essence of what the Christian life is about, which is to love one another in a way that it doesn't is not is not different than the way Jesus loved, and so I tried to live that out in my life. Obviously, working through that, it's not seamless or perfect, but um, it has been very costly. But also, ultimately, that is the real reason why I'm considered a heretic to this day. Wow, and that that that's crazy that that kind of stuff happens, but it's like almost all too um, all too common. Um, thank you for sharing that, Jamal. Um, so I guess it's time for us to get into uh, the the real reason, I guess, why we're having this special edition podcast. So uh, we're going to have to discuss this elephant in the room, so to speak. And uh, I got I got to be honest this um, this so called conflict that is going on, I guess, between Jamal and Keith. I'm a bit out of the loop, um, honestly. Like I just found out about, um, you know, Jamal wrote the book uh, "Free to Love" on Choir Publishing, and Keith, I just read your review of it, um, which was, I'll be honest, I was like, damn, like it's <laughs> it's pretty, you know, it's it's a it's a um, it's a biting. It's one of those things where if you know, I like I, I honestly, Jamal, I gotta be honest, I haven't read your whole book. But I, you know, if someone writes a review like that, it's like, woo, that's that could that can hurt a little bit. Like, I, you know, so there's this so-called conflict from this. Um, but I got to be honest, like I was totally out of the loop. So 
And I know some of our listeners probably have um, been involved in um, reading the back and forth that, that has gone on. But could you, one of you guys catch us up um, with just a brief synopsis of what maybe this backstory of the so-called elephant in the room is? Yeah, Jamal, do you want to do that or do you want me to try that? Sure. Yeah, I mean, you can share it too. I, I'll, I'll start. As, but I, you know, the, the gist is, is, you know, I, what I just finished sharing about, you know, kind of this journey for me being very costly, um, this revelation that I, that I postulated, like, wow, loving like Jesus, you know, to love one another in the same way that he loved. And obviously my personal experiences with living that out have been revolutionary in my life, but it was costly. It, it, it was, uh, and so I wrote literally not, not long after I came through a lot of personal upheaval because of this, I wrote the book free to love. And, um, and you know, there was controversy, like it, it, it was not an easy book to write. Um, and you know, obviously I, um, so I was very thankful that, that Ralph and choir, um, picked it up. But, um, but that was not a seamless process and I'm sure he could even <laughs> go into detail. There was like a lots of, um, attempts to get that book from not even being published. I mean, it was controversial from the, from the get go, which I actually think is a good thing. Um, but it's not fun or easy to, to go through that. So, you know, we sent out the books to some folks that we thought, want, you know, it's kind of standard, you know, when you're, when you're publishing a book, you, you have a, you have a group of people you send the book out to you for, to get reviewed, you know, to read and, you know, you know, po- you're kind of looking for positive reviews. Um, and so Keith actually was one of the people that, uh, that we sent the book to and, um, and then, and then Keith read the book and didn't like it and um, published a negative uh, review about it. Um, yeah. So that's, that's, that's kind of what happened there. And then, um, and then Keith, you probably can take it from there. And yeah, it's, it's kind of funny that uh, we've been, this is like episode seven or eight, I guess, of the podcast. And, and Matt just figured out that this happened and what had gone on before we even started, which is right. That in itself is kind of funny. Um, that, that, and that's why we, part of, honestly, the reason why we decided let's do this podcast about it. Cause either, either you're like Matt and you have no idea that Jamal and I have this backstory, or you are very aware of the fact that Jamal and I have this backstory and you're going, what? Because I'll be, I'll be honest. I've been, I've gotten emails, uh, and, and comments from people privately when we first kicked off this podcast, like, Keith, what are you doing? You're, you're working with Jamal Javanji, you know, like. Like, I don't remember that I wrote this review of his book and that I didn't, you know, agree with it. Um, and Jamal, I think, has gotten pushed back as well. Like, wh- how, what are you doing? Is That's that jerk who wrote that book, that horrible review of your book, and here you were working with him, right? <laughs> so um, so I think that's part of why we wanted to have this conversation in the first place. And here's the deal. Like, we don't all agree. If you're listening to this podcast and your assumption is that the three of us got together to, to host a podcast uh because we all agree on everything, that is not what's going on. We don't agree on everything. And, and I think already uh, in some of the podcasts, we have disagreed. I mean, probably not. It's not like a, a big argument or anything. We're like, hey, you're wrong and that's stupid. We're not disagreeing in a, uh, in a sort of aggressive way. Um, and, and I'll be honest, too. There's quite a, quite a few times that someone will say something and I don't agree, but I don't jump in and go, hang on a minute, that's wrong. Um, right, you just move on. So sometimes, right, you just exactly because it doesn't matter to me uh, in right. the in the bigger picture. And so, anyway, so I just I wanted to just say the first thing is, you know, yeah, we we don't all agree on everything, and we're not going to, but that's okay. I, to me, I would just here's what I've told people when they've come to me and and complained about stuff is like, 
I'm just interested in having these conversations. I think it's so important that we have these conversations. And honestly, I want to have these conversations with you guys. I want to talk to Matt. I want to talk to Jamal. I do want to hear what you guys have to say. I don't have to agree with everything. And you don't have to agree with me either. That's, again, isn't the point. But what I love is that, that Jamal and I have an opportunity to model every single time we do an episode together of Heretic Happy Hour. He and I get to model what it means to, to be people who disagree about something, and yet we respect one another, we listen to one another's opinions, we still treat one another as brothers in Christ, and our, we don't need to agree with each other in order to work together, to fellowship with one another, um, or any of that. And so I, I feel like actually one of the things I love about the podcast is that every episode we get to model what it looks like to do that because it is such a rare thing. Mm, yeah. Well, and it, isn't it such a, uh, God, I mean, isn't it, I, I didn't know about this and yet I, you know, we, we started the podcast without me knowing about this and I just assumed all was like, and all is well, the point being like you disagree without even your co-host of this podcast knowing anything about it. And that's like, <laughs> Isn't that a testimony to living out grace? I mean, not for nothing, but if I don't know about it, just because that's how squashed it is. Like you guys, there's this so-called fucking like disagreement and elephant in the room. Thought I was going to get that one in. Yeah. And, um, and, 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 and one guy doesn't even know about it and he does the podcast with you. It's just like, wow. Like that's a testimony to how much yeah. grace you live in, in that. That is, we talked about it on episode one, like, um, this isn't about agreement. Like it's disagree in love and, and it, your model, your life will model a certain way if you're, if you're living in that world of grace and it, it's not about agreeing. Um, it's not even about like, yeah. it's a scathing review. Like, I mean, Jamal's ego, he seems yeah. like, like he's been able to take it and like not lash out and you guys to disagree in love. Like that's beautiful to me. Yeah. It's yeah. And I want to say, actually, and I say something, Jamal, I want to say this about you, because I uh, this is what I love about you. Uh, and, and it goes exactly with what Matt just commented on, is that I'll be honest, man, not, not only have I personally received so much grace from Jamal uh, as a result of this whole thing, uh, I have been astounded because I was, as he was saying, you know, when his book first came out, yes, I wrote my review and, and I was critical of the book, but there was a whole lot of other you know, people also upset about the book and he got a lot of attacks. Uh, and again, here's the thing I try to do. And I, hopefully I did this even in the review that I wrote, I, I started off the review. I think I spend the first two or three paragraphs talking about that. I'm not against Jamal and that I love Jamal. And this is not a critique of Jamal. And I still, you know what I mean? Like I, I wanted to do all that first before I had a conversation about the book and, and some of the ideas in the book, but, but other people that they really did attack Jamal. I mean, the attack was against right. him as a person and his character. And, and I, but I want to say that I'm telling you, man, even though I disagreed with some things he said in the book, I was blown away with how much of the grace of Christ I saw Jamal exhibit towards these people. Some of them I know he respected a whole lot, whose, whose criticism of him, uh, especially when they took it to that level, that sort of like, hey, spread the word, this guy's dangerous, don't, don't associate with him kind of stuff that he still had so much grace for these people, that blew me away. And, and that to me says a lot. 
Uh, and Jamal, I just want to just want to say thank you for giving me grace. Uh, thank you for continuing to extend that grace to me. And and again, I, I was impressed by that. Like, you know what? Even if I disagree with some of his ideas, that that you know, here here's Jamal to me exhibiting the character of Christ and the way mm. he's handling. Well, Keith, that that um that just means a lot, man. I really, really, really appreciate you saying that. And I, it's not easy. Like, it's not easy for for it wasn't easy for either one of us. I don't think, like, you know, because there's such pressure that other people put on us, you know, and it, we see this in other yes. circles, you know, obviously like, um, you know, like, like, you know, there were people in my circle, you know, like, you know, you need to answer that bullshit review. You need to blah, blah, blah. You need to, you know, and I think, you know, there was a way that we, we handled it and talked about it, but then, but then there's this, even, even for us to work together now, you know, obviously we're, 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 we're like, you know, with the same publisher and we're doing this podcast together and it's like people, really don't like that. And there's pressure. I know you mm-hmm. faced pressure on your end. You were told to like pull away from me or not associate with mm-hmm. me because others were afraid of what that would mean. Uh, I don't even know when I'm trying mm-hmm. to get into that mindset, but like, it's like for you to defy that and to stand against that and to say, you know what, I'm not going to be controlled by the opinions of others Yeah, is a very, very powerful example. And um, I even had a, had a, an old friend, somebody I, I love, but like it's from my past. I mean, he even brought your review up the other day in a Facebook conversation that we were having. No and as, as which, yeah, he, he literally posted your book review of, of my book uh, in, in this thing. And it wasn't even related to the conversation we were having on Facebook. It was just a spite, like, look at this. And so I, re- I, re- I told him, I was like, Hey, if you're going to post Keith's book review, like maybe you could learn from Keith because this guy that did that defriended me from Facebook, like refuses to associate with me, calls me a false teacher and every like trolls my stuff. And then every chance he can get like spreads the word about me to mutual friends that I'm this heretic. And so like, I'm like, man, you know, you're going to quote Keith, you're going to post his review, but why don't you learn from him? Because Keith is like my friend and Keith is, uh, speaks with me. uh, Keith works with me in in the heretic happy hour like and he disagrees with the book so i mean like 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 that example and i think that's why we're doing this podcast is because this is what it's about it's like it's this is the way this is the way of jesus like it's not about agreement at a belief level even though we can have beliefs we can talk about why you know some are more helpful than others or whatever but at the end of the day it's like the reality is is unity the reality is oneness that doesn't yeah. change, you know, yeah. it just is. Yep. And, and dude, let me say too, a, a couple of things I want to say. First of all, and let me just, I'm glad we're doing a podcast because this is going to go out to the world, right? Um, I don't agree with you on everything, Jamal, but I love you, man. I really do. And I totally respect you. And um, and it really does, it breaks my heart that that people are using my review of your book as some kind of a, of a you know, a bludgeon or a tool against you that really sucks, man. Sorry for that, and and I also want to say too, and I, I've said this to you privately, um, and I, we even did a we did a Skype interview uh, after that where you and I talked about it, and then went back and forth point by point in the book and that kind of stuff. But but uh, but I, I just want to say too here on this podcast um, that I, I do apologize because I, I know I know now you know I'm looking back and and going over what happened and like yeah you sent me that book uh, I didn't like the book I, I did write a critical review. But I, I, I definitely could have shown you a whole lot more respect 
in the way I presented that review or the way that I uh, put it out there. And I'm sorry for that. I really am. And uh, if I could go back and do it differently, I would do it differently. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think I think we're all we all do the best we can in the space we're in. You know what I mean? Like it's hindsight's always twenty twenty, and that's good. It's good to learn from that stuff. But yeah, we're all doing the best we can with what we know. You know, and and where we're at yeah. at the time. Yeah, but I, I I've learned a lot, you know, from you, Jamal, and uh, so that's the thing. Like when you're when this guy is saying you're a false teacher and stuff like, um, and again, I don't agree with everything you say, but I wouldn't call you a false teacher because I have learned some things from you, and you have definitely challenged me to think about things and rethink things. And so, um, so yeah, it's just it just sucks. Again, I think it goes back to what we we've talked about this several times on this podcast. You know, when you get this idea that the gospel is about having the right information then to have the wrong information is the greatest heresy. And mm-hmm. you better have all the right information, all the right things lined up, and you better not have anything wrong. And what they really mean by that is just don't disagree with my theology. Because, you know, right. my personal theology, whatever it happens to be, that is the standard. And, and therefore, I can't be right. So anyone who disagrees, disagrees with me is the heretic. Uh, and they're the people that are wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just such a, uh, you know, again, it, it, it goes against everything Jesus is about. Because that kind of an attitude closes you off to unity. It closes you off to fellowship. Uh, and again, the first episode of the Heretic Happier, what do we talk about? What is a heretic? It's someone who divides over a disagreement um, in theology, even if you're the one who's quote unquote correct. Mm-hmm. That, that isn't the issue. The issue is, are you allowing a disagreement to create division? And that's a true heretic. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think something. Yeah, it is. And and but this to go back a little bit to the to the controversy over the book and all of that. Like one of the things that it's done for me, and I'm sure even in, in its own way is done for you. What we're all learning in this is, I'm learning a new level of freedom. I think this whole thing, and I, this is like I ha- I, I hate to say this, but I had to really go through this really tough. And I'm I'm sure it, there, those there'll be more seasons like this in the future, but. I had to go through this tough season in which literally when, and, and again, we're talking about her, like the heretic happy hour and like, look, I'm happy. Like I have a lot of joy in my heart, but I will be honest with you. Like this isn't an easy journey. Like, and I know, I know you guys can say this the same too. Like it's not easy. Um, and this is not to be, I'm not trying to be a victim or like play into this victim's mindset. Cause I think that can be problematic too. But in all honesty, like when you lose, like when you lose relationships, cause I, to me, there's nothing better than people or like valuing relationships. And like when you lose people that you love over something that you're convinced from a spirit level is real and you can't help, but like live into that. It's, it's like on the other side of that, when you go through that hell on the other side of it, there's this freedom that is like, I can live, I can do, there's nothing you can take from me that I haven't already lost. And when do you, once you like begin to taste that, like we're free, like we can literally, I really on it. And this is not to be cliche or a pun here, but to me, that's the only way you can really be free to love, so to speak, is when the attachments to all these other things are just taken from you because they're just not there anymore. And it's like, all right, then I'm just going to be me. I'm going to live. I'm going to like flow with whatever <laughs> I'm receiving and I'm going to love um, the way I know how, and I'm just going to let it go. And that to me is true and honest freedom. And this whole process has been that for me. Um, and it continues again, it continues, but it's like, 
and I'm, I think we're all going to get to this place. Like I, I think of the conversation that James and John, I think, I think it was his mother, like said, you know, was talking to Jesus and, you know, she was like, Hey, I want my, I want my, I want my, my sons to sit on your right and left, you know? And Jesus was like, I don't think, I don't think you realize what you're asking for, but they will. Like, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink, you know? And, and the answer was, yeah. Like they said, yeah, we can drink it. And he's like, okay, you will. And I think that's the cup we're going to drink, you know, and in our own way. And it's, it's not easy, but it's worth it. And it's beautiful and it's total freedom and it's love, but it's not easy. Jamal, your, your answer reminds me of the, um, the Eastern Orthodox uh, doctrine of kenosis, like this self-emptying love. And that's um, where, where Christ Jesus was in his most free, was in emptying himself to love others. And uh, I think that takes um, a lot of um, discipline and a journey and a, a painful experience. You know, we, we have these stories of Jesus going out in the wilderness and being tested by the devil um, you know, these 40 day journeys. And it's like, that's how this spiritual journey feels like. And I think the apostle Paul went through it as well. Uh, but you get to this place where you do realize it's almost like, like all the truths of the universe almost seem paradoxical. Like you'd find, we always think, you know, freedom is found in having more and having more power and having more riches and all this. But like you, you come, you go through this journey and you come to realize like freedom is actually letting go of all these things. And, and being open to loving the other and not, not, uh, not grasping onto attachments like this, the, the Zen Buddhist, um, understand the Mahayana Buddhist would be letting go of all the, um, all the attachments, not grasping at anything, even, even the concept of Nirvana to grasp at Nirvana is to grasp at something and to miss the point. Um, and it's just, it's just wonderful that, um, like this whole thing reminds me that, is is what's what's more important like orthopraxy or orthodoxy and it's like it just seems like this right this right way of living is more important yep. and you see it here uh, i'm listening to you guys this is kind of your guys episode so i want to let you guys do all the talking and and talk through this process of how you um love one another in disagreement and i think you guys have modeled for it beautifully to the fact that that, you know, I, I just saw you guys loving each other. I didn't see any of the, um, the disagreements. And like, so often we attach ourselves to our doctrines to where we have to defend them so vigorously that relationships be damned. And it's like, for me, just, I appreciated learning grace from both of you guys, like looking at this thing, like, wow, like, we theologize about it. We talk about it behind a microphone, but you guys live it out. And that's just, um, so fucking beautiful to me. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. Uh, it's yeah, it's, yeah. it's a journey. Right. It's certainly right. a journey. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. And, and I also think, uh, I like what you said, Jamal, uh, just talking about, and I know this is so real for you, man. I could even tell as you were sharing this, uh, there's some emotion in your voice about, uh, these are real relationships that have ended over uh, you, know, you following your heart and your convictions. And I, and I know what that's like. And I think Matt could say the same thing where, I mean, I, I've lost relationships, family members, good friends, um, brothers in Christ. Some of them, some of them, I do know them like they are actual friends, actual family members. Some of them, I don't know their names. They're just jerks on Facebook. They call me heretic and unfriended me. Um, and many, many more of those, uh, at least. 
than the other. But yet, those things are real. I mean, that is true. And and that's a, it is very painful. And I, I don't know how many times in my deconstruction process, you know, I stood alone in the bathroom and looked in the mirror at myself and just said to myself, why can't I be normal? Why can't I just think and act the way everybody else does? Because if I could, uh, you know, I wouldn't lose these relationships. I wouldn't lose these friendships. I wouldn't have to, um, you know, it's painful. It's difficult. Uh, but you can't, you know what I mean? I think we're just wired this way where, you know, you can't unsee something, you can't unlearn something. And I think we're also wired, um, unlike a lot of people, to ask questions, you know, to, to not just say the status quo is good enough. Uh, I like the status quo. Like, I, I, I'm not, I've never been happy with the status quo. I've always questioned those things. I've always said, why is it this way? And why isn't it the other way? And why doesn't this make sense? And, and it's asking those questions and digging deeper and not stopping until you get an answer that often drives us into the wilderness, right? It, it, it drives us away from the normal, uh, away from the what everybody else is following. Um, and of course, the other thing is that we don't, we don't just go alone because once we discover something that's different and we figure out something that we think is important, uh, we find the answer of the, of the why. Well, then we want to tell other people, right? We want to, we don't want to just keep it to ourselves. We want to say, Hey, everybody, why are you doing that? Don't, don't you want to know why this is screwed up? You know, like this guy that answered the, the question, the guy that called in, like we've asked those similar questions and we've, we've pursued that question until we got something of an answer. And then we know that well, we're not the only ones asking this question. Other people care about this too. But in the process of doing that for ourselves and for others, there are so, so many people that really love the status quo. They do not want you asking questions. They do not want you um, pointing people away from, uh, you know, those power structures. Yeah. And, you know, um, Keith, you know, I, I, when you, when you're talking about like looking in the mirror and how like you're looking in the mirror and you're going, man, why can't I be normal? And I totally, I totally resonate with that. Cause I had so, had so many people over the years just kind of use this, like this quest to really get to the truth, to get to the essence, you know, like I've had that used against me and they'll say, you know, Jamal, like you're never satisfied. You're always questioning kind of a thing. And, um, or let's say, you know, you evolve like that. Actually you, 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 you know, you have a different, like where, where I am today is not where I was a year ago is not where I was five years ago. I, I mean, even my book free to love, like I look through it and I go, yeah, I would say things a little differently now. Cause I'm in a different space, but that's always been used against me, you know, as like, Oh, like, <laughs> like you, you always change. And it's like, no, it's actually like, you wouldn't fault right. a five-year-old for, for being five as opposed to two. You wouldn't say, hey, hey, gosh, last time I saw yeah. you, you were five and now you're 10 and you're different. And that's bad. Like, no, it's like called a journey. Hello. Right. And it's like, so, you know, I think at some point it's just so helpful. Not everybody. I don't believe everybody is called to be a, a, a questioner in a sense or a deconstructor for folks like, like maybe what we all feel right. that in our bones. But I think I had to come to this place where I, I don't see the way I am naturally as a liability. I actually go, you know what? That's actually the best part of me. That's actually one of the most, like I, I need to accept. And once, right. once we can accept this is our role, I really believe everyone is sent here to this earth 
for with a, with a specific mission that's unique to our lives. I just believe that. And I think the more we come into that yep. and accept that, that's when we really begin to to live and flow in the life we were meant to live. And it took me a while to actually accept that um, because I was denying that. And then other folks were, I was just feeding, I was actually just mirroring the lie that these other folks were putting at me. And I was like embodying that and it was causing me internal suffering. And finally I had to say, no, what? That's actually, I'm accepting that part of it. Right. I'm not going to deny that. Hey, I think it's so, I think it's so funny that um, people say, hey, Matt, you're different than when you were in high school or in college. And I'm like, uh, I don't want to be Matt from high school or college. Why is, why is this journey a bad thing? Like it's, like you said, Jamal, it's it's silly that people say that because that's just that's just part of it. Yeah, of course I'm different. That that's a that's a good thing. Trust me. <laughs> like I was a total dipshit. Come on now. <laughs> uh, you guys, you guys have any last thoughts before we um, wrap this puppy up? You know, I, I would say this to the listeners that are out there, and it's like, you know, I, it doesn't matter what side, like. You know, I'm personally like I'm I'm a fan of my book. I, I hope people read it. Um, but you know what? It doesn't matter to me if you don't like the book, if you don't agree with the book, or if you it doesn't matter if you fall on like you know Keith's side, my side. It's not like sides. I think the, the 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 thing I would like to encourage people with is like if you're gonna fall into a camp, fall into this camp. Yeah. Like fall into the camp of just like of just acceptance, radical acceptance of one another, <laughs> despite, <laughs> despite what the beliefs are, Ooh. because that to me is the yeah. essence of the Christ is this radical acceptance and love of one another in a way that it doesn't negate the beliefs. And I'm not saying it's not important what we believe. I'm just saying it goes beyond it. It transcends it. So I just encourage the listeners to say, Hey, look, you know, follow this example, seriously, follow it, like do it. It's not, you, you will, you will change the world. I promise you. And you're like, if every one of us does this, we will literally change the whole planet. I like it. That's beautiful, man. That's beautiful. Um, let's see, we got, uh, what's our next episode? Um, can we know God without the Bible? That was going to be what we were going to regularly schedule. Yep. So, uh, that one's going to be next. I think that'll be episode eight. And then we've got a bunch of guests, David Hayward, Mike Morell, Derek Webb, Ben Corey, Jory Micah. Um, wait. Lots of great episodes, but yeah, yeah, we do we. What's the heretic? What's the number? The the hotline number? What's the number? Two four zero three heresy. Two four zero three heresy. That's the number. Oh yeah, give it a call, guys. Yes. Yeah.